So he goes on this trip, and he, and he falls in love with the, with the lost people of the world. He grew up in a Christian family. He falls in love with the people, especially the Kanzu Muslims that were living in China at that point. And he writes home. He writes home telling his parents he wants to be a missionary. He writes home telling them how much he loves seeing and meeting these people that, that don't know Christ and how he can evangelize to them. He gets home and his friends, some of his family are just like, man, you're throwing your life away if you do that. You have everything you have near. You have money. You have a good future ahead of you. You've got, you take over your dad's business, man, you're going to be set for life. And you want to do missions work? So Will took out his Bible. In the back of his Bible, right back here. His is probably white, mine's black. You wouldn't see ink in mine. But right, right back here, he writes two words. Very top, he writes this. He writes, no, no reserves. I get smaller, bigger to smaller. Good handwriting, right? He writes, no reserves. He's all in. He wants to be a missionary. He feels like that's where God's calling him to be, and that's what he wants to do. So he ends up going to Yale for college, and Yale wasn't necessarily a Christian college, uh, but a lot of people knew, knew Christ and that sort of thing, and and it's written down that from other people's accounts that, that Will was, was spiritually more mature than anyone else they had seen on campus. As a freshman, not many people knew he was rich and, and could have anything he wanted. But people just noticed something different about him. He loved Christ with all of his heart. He wasn't in control of his own life. So we heard a, a professor speak at a chapel one morning and and the, the professor spoke of the purpose of Yale, how Yale has to have this purpose, and how he wants Yale to have a purpose, but he never went into detail about what that purpose is. And that really bothered Will. So we wrote down in a journal, and, and he talked about that, and how he wanted the purpose of Yale to be about God. And he wanted that purpose to be centered around God and people serving Christ with their lives. So we did that, and him and his, him and his buddy decided they were going to start this prayer group Wednesday mornings. They just met and they prayed. They had a little Bible study. They met and they prayed. Will would read the Bible, do a little exegesis on it, which is like breaking down the passage. And then a third student came, then a fourth and a fifth. By the end of his freshman year, there were 150 students attending Bible studies and devotional groups and prayer groups. And there's only 1,300 students on campus total. It's pretty, pretty good growth for one year. Will kept going. He wasn't satisfied with that, though. He kept going. It was said that you could always find him down in the slums of the city helping out orphan kids, feeding the homeless, giving them shelter, paying for a place for them to stay, taking home drunks, making sure that they're safe. Every freshman class that came in through the years, they would have all their names, and they would all read through them and say, I'll take, I'll take them, I'll put them in my group. I'll reach out to them. I'll evangelize to that person. Well, obviously... There's going to be some naughty kids, whatever you want to call them, some notoriously bad students coming into college. And nobody would take them, but then you just hear Will's voice in the back say, I'll take them. Put them in my group. He had a heart for the lost. By his senior year, 1,000 of the 1,300 students at Yale were involved in prayer groups, devotional groups, study groups. All because he and one other person Wanted to meet for prayer. That's how it started. So we ended up graduating from Yale, and, and some high-paying jobs were coming his way. And he turned them down. He knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to go to China. 
to evangelize to those Muslims. He wanted to reach out to them and tell them about the good news of Christ. So he turned them down, and again, all his friends that knew him were like, man, what are you doing? You're not going to have anything over there. You don't, even, you don't even speak Arabic. How are you going to go over there and evangelize to them? How do you expect to do this when you've already got money here, you've got your dad's business to take over here? Why would you want to throw that away? So after turning these, these jobs down, he, he grabbed his Bible again, he wrote in the back of it, he wrote two more words. Underneath no reserves, he wrote this. He wrote, no retreats. No retreats. Not only is he all in, but he's not turning around, guys. He's not turning back. He's all in, and he's staying all in. So we ended up going to Princeton Seminary. And he graduated from there after a few years. So he went through like eight years of college. And he finally was getting the chance to go to China. But first, he had to stop in Egypt and study the language Arabic, okay? So he got over there. He's only there for a few months studying the language and all these things, and then he contracted a disease. He contracted, well, I don't know if it's a disease, spinal meningitis. He contracted that, and he died a month later, 25 years old. Would he have died in America? Probably not. not there's a lot of different things going on in America than there were in Egypt at this time. But he ended up dying, and so many people thought he threw his life away. Man, he could have been so much. He could have been so successful in America, and he goes over there and he doesn't even get to his mission field? What was he thinking? Well, at the end of this time, when he died and they shipped all his stuff back, they went through his things and they, and they went through his Bible. And just prior to his death, he wrote two more words. Two more words underneath those, these, these two things. And this is where my handwriting is going to get really bad if I can get marker lit off here. He wrote two more words. No regrets. Sorry, I have really bad hit right. He wrote, no regrets. He didn't regret a thing. He knew what his purpose in life was. He knew that he wasn't in control of his life. And he knew that his life was flipped. It was flipped around for God. He let God have complete control of his life, and he never looked back. And we like to be in control of our lives, Right? We like that. We like to, to know what our grades are. We like to know what we want to do with our future. We, want, we, want, we like to be in control of our relationships with our parents, with our partners, whoever it is. We like that. You ever feel like you lose control? You ever feel like the, the, the weight of life is just too much on you and you start to crash? And the I can, I can do this turns into I can't. I can't do this any longer. Where do I go? And it's like you're forced to go to God. It's like you're forced to let him have control of your life, right? The older you get, the more control you end up having. I mean, you'd rather have an 18-year-old kid driving a car than, a, than an 8-year-old kid. Okay? So generally, the older you get, the more control you have. When I was, when I was 2 years old, I had to call up my parents for this story, because uh, obviously I was 2, I don't really remember it, but it's one of the scariest stories that my parents have of our childhood, of us kids. And so my mom... Uh, she was like taking us to church one morning, and so she put us out in the car, and I was two. My older sister was, was three and a half, four. My younger brother had just been born, and so she put my older sister and I in the car first in the back seat. She buckled in my sister. She didn't buckle in me. Car was running, warming it up. I crawl out of my seat. I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe, hey, I have a Hot Wheel. I can drive this car too, right? So I climb in the front seat, and while my mom comes out, Rachel's in the back like, Mom, Mom, 
out and freaking out and like, Mom, come out here, Mom, come out here. And, and she comes out there and she sees me getting up in the driver's seat and trying to work the little lever thingy because I see my dad do it all the time, I guess. And we live on a hill. That was the scariest part. My mom said she just sank because we lived on a hill. You, we had a hill and then another street and then another hill. And at the bottom of that hill, it wasn't, it wasn't another street. It was a cul-de-sac. It was a dead end full of houses. So my mom knew that if that car was going down that hill, she might not have two children. She might only have one now instead of three. But thankfully, my parents, for some reason, our car was not very good at all. So my parents always turned the wheel um, before they turned it off and got out because we lived on a, a pretty steep hill. Like I would have been going 30, 35 miles an hour just coasting down that thing by the end of it. So I got up there, my mom put my brother down and ran to the car, and I managed to put it in drive. And obviously, I'm two years old. I can't steer it. I'm not powerful enough to steer a car when I'm two years old. And I drove it right into a brick wall. We weren't going very fast. But I was two years old. I was trying to control a two-ton car. I was probably barely potty trained by that point. You think I'm going to be able to drive a car? That car can represent life sometimes. Yeah, my mom gets the Mom of the Year award, right, for that one. Yeah. Um, but that car can represent life. Sometimes life is just too heavy for you. You can't control it. There's no way you can. It's out of your reach, your grades. You're obsessing over them. Maybe it's hard for you because you're a control freak. Maybe you're having a really bad relationship with your mom and your dad and you're fighting with them constantly. Maybe it's that way with your relationships. You're always constantly fighting with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend and stuff and fighting for control and you just don't know where to go, what to do anymore and So what's next? What's next? When my ability runs out, Jesus' ability keeps going. That's what we're going to hit hard tonight. When my ability runs out, Jesus keeps going. So Roman centurion, we're going to dig in. This is is the guy we're going to study tonight who had a flipped life. So this guy, this man is a centurion guard, so he probably looks a lot like Thor. Big and beefy and handsome and, and powerful, and my man crush is Thor, I will be honest. He's studly. Okay, so this man, he's a centurion guard in the Roman army. Uh, it meant that he had a lot of men under him. Hundred, hundreds, thousands possible, depended on him. But this man had all kinds of servants and stuff, and, and one of them was sick, and he goes, he goes to try to find Jesus. Why would a Roman guard try to find Jesus? They hate, they hate Jews. Roman guards are the ones that nailed Jesus to the cross. Why would he go to try to find Jesus? So one of his head servants is sick, and he's paralyzed, and he, he finds Jesus, and he says, Jesus, please, my servant, he's sick, he's paralyzed, and he's terrified. I can't heal him. Jesus says, well, where is he? I'll go. I'll go and I'll heal your servant. The Roman guard, in, in humility, just says, he says, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I'm not worthy enough for that. But I know, I know, Jesus, that if you say the word, if you say the word, he'll be, he'll be healed. He'll be fixed. He says, look, Jesus, I'm a, I'm a man of power. I'm a centurion in the Roman, in the Roman army. Most powerful army in the world. I tell my servants to go and get this and they get it. I tell my my soldiers to jump and they say, How high? Anything that I want, 
My wish becomes their command. I'm a powerful man, but I know with your power, if you say the word, my servant will be fixed. He will be healed. Jesus marveled at this man's faith. Can you imagine that? Jesus being marveled by your faith? Hey, can I trade, trade places with that Roman guard? He marveled at this man's faith. So turn to Matthew 8. Turn to Matthew 8. This is where we're going to dig in tonight. First, though, everyone, turn your attention to the screen. So at, at the uh, spring retreat, the extraordinary thing, if you guys can't see from this, I'm sorry. Um, Luke Wadney and I and Eli, we all talked about our favorite versions of the Bible, the coolest versions of the Bible. And Hawaiian pidgin language came up. You guys are so like the Hawaiians. This is their Bible version. So I'm going to read this to you. This is sick, nasty, awesome. So I'm going to read it in a Hawaiian, uh, excuse me, I have a cold. In a Hawaiian voice, he say, it says this. When Jesus was going inside Capernaum town, one captain for the Rome army guys, when came by him for Begum. Boss, I got one worker guy that stay home sick. He no can move. He stay suffer plenty. Jesus tell him, Kay, I go and go to your house for make him come good. The captain say, hey boss, you know, I'm not good enough for you come inside my house. Only say the thing, then my worker guy come good. Jesus went hear that and he tell the other guys that stay following him, Ho, this guy, get him. And I like tell you guys this, no more Israel people that trust me like that. <laughs> Word up. Right? Okay, now the real version. Okay, so Matthew 8. That's just awesome. I wanted to use that. You guys can get that on your Bible app. Shout out to Luke Watney down there and Eli. Wherever he's at. I don't know where Eli's at. Okay, but actually, what it actually says, turn to, turn to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, we're going to start verse 5. We're going to go through 13, so bear with me here. I'm reading from the NASB. You guys, I think, have NIV. I'm reading from the NASB just so you know, so don't get lost or anything. It says this. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. A little bit different than the Hawaiian pidgin language. Oh, Jesus, where art thou? Yo, where you at, bro? Jesus, guys, do you understand that? Jesus marveled. He marveled at this man's faith. I can't even imagine that. Imagine being a disciple and Jesus turning around and saying, guys, this guy gets it. What he's doing, learn from him. 
This guy gets it. I'm going to break this down a little bit for you guys because I know verse, uh, verse 11 can kind of get a little bit confusing when it says people will come from the east and west and, and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's talking about Gentiles, okay? So the east and west, so the east and west of Israel, they're, they're coming, they're going to come and they're going to hear the word of God and they're going to be saved. They're going to recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in heaven. They're going to be saved. They're going to be in eternity. Then when it goes on and it says some of the sons of kingdom will be condemned and will be cast out in the outer darkness, that's hell. Hell ain't a party, people. I hear that all the time in my high school. Growing up, this actually, I'm not just saying this just to say it, guys. I'm serious. There were a lot of kids at my high school, a lot of students that believed, man, whenever I tried to talk to them about God, which was not very often, they'd be like, oh, man, would you, why would I want heaven? I'm going to hell. There's going to be sex. There's going to be alcohol. There's going to be drugs. And it's going to be awesome. And it make me so mad. I just want to grab them and be like, who jacked you up enough to make you think that? And it also made me sad, too. It's just like, man, you weren't even going to listen to me. And later on down the road, what are you going to think when you're there? Is it going to be a party? No. So Jesus is saying that some of even, even the Jews, the sons of the kingdom, so the, the sons of Israel, the Hebrew nation, the Jews, will be cast out because they, have, they don't have faith. They have rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Messiah. So imagine being these disciples, and God has marveled at this man's faith. This Roman guard, he comes from nowhere, and all of a sudden Jesus is like, hey, you guys need to follow him. And they've been following him for quite some time now. He didn't give up. The Roman guard didn't give up. Even though he probably hired doctors, he knew magicians, he was a powerful man, he could command people to try to heal his servant, he didn't give up and be like, well, you're going to die. I'm sorry, man, you're not going to make it. We just have to let you die. And he didn't keep pushing forward. He didn't keep going, man, there's got to be another doctor out there. There's got to be somebody out there that has some sort of herb and magical power that can heal him. But what did he do? He knew that his ability ran out. And he heard of this, this man in Capernaum, who was Jesus Christ, and he knew that this man had power. More power than he had. He surrendered. He just surrendered. And he knew that when his ability ran out, ran out sorry, Jesus' ability keeps going. When we can no longer control our lives, we can trust the one who is in control. And that's huge. Okay? Another thing that's huge. This guard had confidence. He had confidence in his faith with Christ. Okay? It's, it, it's one thing to give up a situation. It's one thing to say, okay, God, I can't control what's going on with my, me and my mom right now. Have it. I don't, I don't want to do with it anymore. No. He, he knew that Man, if I go to Jesus Christ, I know this man can fix my servant. And the fact that a Roman guard is trying to heal his servant and cares that much also speaks a lot about this man. This man's life was flipped upside down because of the power of Christ, because of what he knew Jesus meant to the entire world. He knew Jesus was in control and had complete authority over that situation. Don't give up things unwillingly or without trust. I know you guys, I mean, I, I was there. I still do it. I, sometimes there'll be things I give up. I'll be like, okay, God, like, sure. You have to have it. Take it, whatever. But sometimes God doesn't want control of the situation. He wants control of you and your life. 
Okay, it's one thing to give up your grades and be like, okay, God, I'm going to give you my grades. Here, take them. I'll, I'll work. I'll do that stuff. I'll sit back, but I, I won't worry about them anymore. Here, God, have this relationship. I don't know where it's going. I don't know if I care anymore, but here, have it. <clears throat> here, God, have these fights with my mom. Have this sports team. If I don't make it, that's fine. That's fine. God wants control of you, not that. And when he has control of you, it's going to control that, whatever situation you're in. When you are letting your life be controlled, your heart, your heart being controlled, not just your head, not just head knowledge. You can be fake with that. You can come to youth group tonight and be, I don't know, a worldly person tomorrow, really worldly person. But if you, get, if you let God have control of your heart and let him work in you, and if you listen to him, and if you dig in the word every day, you pray every day, and you pursue him, just pursue him, it's going to dramatically change you. It's going to dramatically change who you are at the heart. Yeah, you're going to want to do well in grades. You're going to want a good relationship. But you know that it is, you're not going to idolize over it. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I tried my best with my grades. Okay, that's what I got. Thank you, God, for helping me through that. Okay, I had a fight with my mom. I'm sorry, mom. I shouldn't have done that. I should be better than that. You're right. Or if you talk through it, if she's wrong. Moms are never wrong, though. Remember that. I found that out the hard way sometimes. And I'm not, I'm not going to guarantee that everything's going to go smoothly. I think a lot of times, especially at the high school age, you guys are scared. You're kind of scared, okay, I really want to give up control, but I'm scared of what's going to happen. What if God actually does want me to break up? What if God does actually want me to stop stressing out about my grades, and what if my parents get mad at that for me? You're scared. It can be, it can be hard sometimes, right? So I'm not going to guarantee you're going to pass the test. You're not going to get dumped. I'm not going to guarantee one of your friends is going to post an ugly picture of you on Instagram that you didn't have control over. I mean, that could be hard, but I promise you it's going to be worth it. Because I just got through a time in my life, some of you know, uh, I had no idea what way it was coming. It was a storm. And I had no idea how I was going to get through it. I gave, I gave God control, I mean, unwillingly through a lot of it. And finally God grabbed me by the shoulders and said, Ben, let me. And I let him. And guys, I have not looked back. It has been amazing. It was hard. There's some things that I wanted that God didn't give me, and that happens. But I know there's a greater reason for it. God works everything for good for those who love him. Romans 8, 28. If you are a follower of Christ, everything that happens in your life is for a reason. The story of Nick Vujicic. I I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right. Uh, Some of you guys might know him. It's, It's the limitless guy. So limitless with, uh, I'm going to spell this out, it's L-I-I, oops, M, B, and then limitless. So this guy was born without no arms, without no arms, double negative. This guy was born with no arms and no legs, okay? And he had a little, like, chicken wing right here, a little flapper foot thing that he could still use, but otherwise he had nothing. And he's a traveling speaker now, world-known. And when I was in FCA, uh, sophomore, sophomore, junior year of high school, uh, we, we watched a couple of his videos of him speaking. Great speaker. If you guys have not heard of this guy, YouTube him. He's from Australia. Look up Limitless. It's, it's incredible. But he said something that rocked my world. It rocked me and it has stuck with me ever since. Just like this William Borden story. I, I heard that story when I was in eighth grade. And it's stuck with me ever since. 
But he said everything happens for a purpose. No matter what it is, there's a purpose for everything. That rocked me. You guys understand that? Yeah, things might not go my way. For me in high school, I couldn't play some sports because of health issues. That devastated me, but, but he, he said everything happens for a purpose. You may not know that purpose yet, but you'll find out. Nick always said that he was in depressed, depression. He had no arms, no legs. Man, he's, he said, I'm not going to get married. I can never skateboard. I can never swim. I can never play with kids. I can never have good friends. I can't do anything with them. He was depressed until he let God have control of his life, and now he's a world-known speaker. He is married. He does have a child. He has done so many things in his life because he let God have control of it. He surrendered everything to God. And he said, everything happens for a purpose. There's a few other people that he's greatly impacted that were born without limbs. There's countless people that he's greatly impacted just because of his situation. When I was dealing through things, man, my grandpa, he was having health issues. Him and my dad are rock solid for me. And he's going through these health issues. We're not, we don't know if he's going to make it with cancer and with a few other things. I was, I was scared. I didn't want God to take him from me. But I knew that God had a purpose behind that. Going through different things in my family, my relationships, ending and all those sorts of things. I was like, God, why is this happening? But I knew he had a purpose for it. I didn't see it at the time. It was hard, but now later on down the road, I'm able to meet with people from college, meet with people from youth groups, from my hometowns, mentor kids that come up to me, little middle school kids that come up to me like, hey, my grandpa just died. He was awesome for me. And and thankfully, if it weren't for these things, would I have sat there and been like, "Uh, that sucks. I'm sorry. No, but it, it was amazing because I was able to help them be like, hey, this verse helped me when I, when I was struggling with that. My grandpa didn't die, but this helped me. Hey, when this ended, man, you got to keep going. God's got something else out there better for you. He's going to bless you in so many more ways. Everything happens for a purpose. Do you think Will Borden, do you think he knew his purpose? He thought his purpose was to go over there and save the lost people, the lost Kanzu Muslims in China. But he never even got there. Do you think he questioned that purpose? I guarantee if you asked him today, he'd say no. He's like, man, I, I, knew, I knew God was in, in control of it all. I knew that. And you have to know that too. That's important. It's different for every one of you guys, and it looks different for every one of you guys, of, of things you need to give up in your life, of, of different things you, you can't control. So why haven't you flipped your life yet? It's not easy. The Christian life is not boring. I'm telling you that from a fact, from experience. I'm having a blast. I'm weird and crazy and stupid. Thanks whoever did that. But I'm having a blast. And I'm letting God control my life. And I hope you guys are too. Flip your life for him, guys. You will not look back. You will not regret it. Yeah, you might lose a couple friends. Yeah, you might lose a relationship, a couple grades, whatever it is. Hopefully not drastically in the grade area. You might lose a, a couple of your future plans that you want. But it's worth it. I promise you that. I'm going to have Eli come up here real quick. He's going to play a little bit for me. Um, guys, maybe you have flipped your life. Maybe you have. That's awesome. Keep going. Like, you won't regret it. No reserves. Don't hold anything back doing it. No retreat. You are all in. You have Jesus Christ on your side. That's victory enough.
and no regrets. Don't regret anything. Give it up to him and let him have it and don't regret that and you won't. If you truly let him have control of your life, you won't. I'm going to give you guys a final thought. Final thought. I'm just going to read it quick and I'm going to have you guys pray this, okay, if you're willing. I'm not in charge. God, you know what I want. You know that I want to be a businessman. You know that I want to be a musician. You know that I I want this good-looking girl and this girl I'm dating. You know I want her to be the one. You know I want these things, Lord. You know I want to be on the varsity baseball team, the varsity football team, basketball team, whatever it is. But you say the word, and you make the final call. I'm going to let you be in charge, and I'm going to ask you to help me if things don't go the way I think they should. Jesus Christ died for you. He gave everything for you to give you a chance. Are you going to take it? One of my favorite rap songs, one of the lines in it says, give him your all and nothing less. And that's so true. Give him your all, nothing less. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. So I'm going to have Eli start playing here, and I want you guys to pray this, only if you're willing. Only if you mean it. Don't say it and then go back to school tomorrow and start cussing and start doing all these other things and, and not worrying about your faith. Don't do that. I want you guys to pray through this. I'll say it. You can repeat it after me. You can bow your head and I'll say it. But guys, if you say it, mean it. Otherwise, I don't want you to. Might be a little harsh, a little blunt. But if you don't mean it, don't say it. God doesn't want that. So bow your heads. God, I'm not in charge. You know what I want. But you say the word. And you make the final call. I'm going to let you be in charge. I'm going to ask you to help me. I'm going to ask you to help me if things don't go the way I think they should. Keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. Guys, we're going to go to small groups tonight, and I want you to really think about this. How do you need to flip your life? like the centurion guard, like Zacchaeus. In what ways do you need it flipped? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for these students that were able to come tonight. And I thank you for this lesson. God, I pray that you work in it. I pray that each one of these students leave here with, with no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. God, I pray they give their all for you and nothing less. And that's, that's what the Christian faith is about all in. God, I thank you for these students. I pray that they would just give up control of their lives to you in every way and willingly and trust that and have confidence in you. And God, I thank you for each one of them. And I pray to get home safely tonight. Each one of them has a good small group time and uh, just thank you, Lord. You are amazing. You are powerful. You are in control and you are sovereign above all else. Amen.